Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Today I'm going to be moving into another area. I want to talk about a certain kind of detachment that is so pervasive in our nation and in our culture. And um, it's been difficult to get a title for my message, but um, I think we can look at it from the positive side and say we're talking about compassion. So I see it as a lack of compassion, some kind of detachment that seems to be so pervasive. And I trust that as we look through the scriptures, God will awaken us to that reality and help us recalibrate so that we become people who are more compassionate. Amen. So please open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke and to chapter 10. We'll read from verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, and that was what he says, a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there but he also passed by on the other side. Then the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I'll just continue to the end of the chapter. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he thought. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary 
has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. So two very interesting stories. And I think that looking at this story, we'll find one of those little foxes that spoiled the vine. And in the story of the Samaritan man, the good Samaritan, we find interestingly two people who walked by and did nothing at all. Two people that you and I would think would have done something. A priest and a Levite, a temple assistant, a church worker. I mean, of all the people in the world, you would think that they will be compassionate. They will help a poor human being, another person who was in trouble, left for dead, naked, covered in blood, bruises, helpless, hopeless. You would think that a priest or a church worker will stop by and help. But according to Jesus, they didn't. They looked, they saw, but it says they crossed to the other side. They distanced themselves from the problem. They were able to detach themselves somehow from the other person's humanity so they could walk on. And it says that the Samaritan man, who was despised, the Bible actually tells us he was a despised Samaritan, not even an honorable, noble Samaritan. He wasn't a priest in his religion or anything like that. He was a despised Samaritan. He wasn't a Jew like the others. He passed, he saw, and he couldn't walk on. He couldn't walk on. He had to get off his donkey. He had to do something about the wounds. He could have dressed those wounds and left the guy to heal and somebody else to continue, but he didn't stop there. He took the guy on his donkey. He probably walked alongside while the guy was on the donkey, lying on that donkey, bruised and broken, took him to an inn, paid for him to stay in there, nursed him. The next day, left money. I don't know how long he will be, keep this money. If he stays longer than I expect and the money runs out, don't worry. Don't drive him out. You look after him. Even if it's a month, no worries. When I come back next time, I will pay the difference. That was the Samaritan one. The one who wasn't related. Who wasn't of the same color. Wasn't of the same tribe. Not of the same clan. They were not in the same church. He was different. But he did that. And then Jesus asked the teacher of the law, which of these people is their neighbor? You know, he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He couldn't mention that word. He said the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. That is the neighbor. The question is, you know, you listen to all the things that Brother Matthew talked about last week. The things we do to each other, the corruption, the cheating, the stealing, the lying. And you ask yourselves, why do we do these things? Why do we do these things to each other? We who are of the same nation, sometimes same tribe, same color, same workplace, same family, same church, why do we do these things to each other? I think there's a certain lack of compassion. 
There's a certain kind of detachment where we're able to dissociate ourselves from another's suffering. And so we're able to justify walking by. And the Bible makes it clear that this guy, when he asked Jesus this question, who's my neighbor, the idea was to justify his actions. So not everybody is my neighbor. I can detach myself from others. But Jesus helped him see that neighborliness is not defined by clan or race or tribe or color or being the same church or the same belief system. No. It's defined by our common humanity to be able to feel compassion for the suffering of another, no matter who they are or what they believe or where they come from or how much they earn or what work they do. No matter which side of town they live, they are human. They are loved by God. And that's why the first part is so important. To fulfill the commandments is to love the Lord your God. To love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. It starts with love for God. It starts with understanding that God loves every human being he created. That's where it starts from. When we understand that we are all made by God and we are all made in his image and we are all loved by him, that is the beginning. That's how we can love and accept each other. The Bible says that if we say we love God who we do not see, and we do not love our neighbor who we see, the truth is not in us. Our test of loving God is how much we love our neighbor. It's interesting. I was thinking about it, meditating, and I'm like, Charlie, it's serious, though. Even those who are close to us, who are similar to us, where we are struggling, to show them love and mercy and compassion. Think about the most intimate relationship, marriage, where you actually go to the altar and make a vow to love and to hold till death do us part. And then when it comes to the night, we turn our backs to each other. We can't even hold. It's difficult. Even the closest neighbor, your wife, you sleep in the same bed. And we, we always find ways of detaching ourselves from each other. It's serious. What about our children? What about our siblings? What about our parents? Sometimes we are so detached from our parents. If you consider where we are today, you consider where some of our parents are, it, it, it doesn't match. It just doesn't match. Somehow we are different from them now. Somehow we are at another level now. Somehow their lives are different from ours. So we can live up there, they should remain down there. I just thought about that. Why is it so easy for us to be so detached? Why is it so easy? I don't have all the answers, but I think a bit of it has to do with self-preservation sometimes. The problems are too many. We think, let me sort myself out. God will take care of the others. Maybe that's what it is. And I say that because I remember as a medical student, my first clinical year, I would often go to the wards 
and see patients, especially those who are really dying, terminally ill ones, cancers and that kind of thing. I'll go and visit them. I'll get some poor students, I didn't have much money, but I'll get some juice, I'll get some biscuits, and I go to the ward, I take them something, and then I just talk to them. One day I was doing that in the evening. I go to the ward and I find this patient who was a refugee. He had come from the refugee camp. He was dying from HIV, from tuberculosis, and kidney failure. I mean, he was terminal, nothing could save him. But I went that evening, I found him, his bed sheet off the bed on the ground, the mattress half hanging on the bed. The patient himself, his legs on the bed, but his body and his head were down on the floor. And he was just moaning, gasping, dying. And there were other patients, it was an open ward, so there were about eight or more other patients of the same ward watching this. I'm wondering what those other patients would think. How would they feel? So I went to the guy. I had gone there to see him in particular that evening, and I met him in that state, so I couldn't talk to him. So I went to the nurse's table, and I told them, oh, I came to see this patient, but this is the state in which I found him. I think he's dying. Let's do something about it, at least. You know, do the bed nicely, put him on and all that. You won't believe it, but the nurses laughed at me. Fourth-year medical student, fresher. You haven't seen anything yet, basically. Johnny just come. They laughed. There was a detachment. There was some Carlos. They, 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 they didn't care, simple and short. They didn't care. But I grew in the system and realized that Charlie was the norm. And I think it was a kind of self-preservation kind of mechanism. Because when you see this every day, you get burnt out very, very easily. You, you will die before them. You end up in a psychiatric hospital yourself. So you have to detach yourself somehow so that you don't see it. You can easily walk by. Let them die. You go and dress them after they are dead. Then you can push them out. Another one gone. Just a number, a statistic. In the morning, you hear comments like, oh, today we lost four, we lost three. There are numbers. There has to be that detachment just to maintain our own sanity. Later on, as a houseman, I would encounter the same thing on the wards. All my seniors, my residents, my specialists, they were worried for me. They told me I wouldn't survive as a doctor. And they said I was too emotionally involved with my patients. So that's when I learned that it was a defense mechanism. To survive, you have to be detached. Maybe it's the same thing we do with all the troubles around us. An accident happens on the motorway. You pass by, you see it happen. How many of us stop? to go and help. Often we just drive by, somebody else will do it. So before we judge the priests and the Levite, let's look into our own souls. How many things do we see and turn a blind eye on? In our own families, in our own homes, even with our own spouses. How many in our churches do we hear about, oh, this person is in a hospital, this person is this? Sometimes the intention is there, but how often do we really end up going to visit them? Do we get some money to give them, to support them? This person has lost the father or the mother. There's a funeral going on. There's a lot of expenses. We'll be doing an offering for them like we did last week. How many of us think, ah, what I have is too small. I can't solve everybody's problem, and so I'll give nothing. 
It's so easy to turn a blind eye. It's so easy to cross the other side of the road and to walk on. But God is calling us to relook at all of this and touch our inner persons, become a bit more compassionate, a bit more considerate, a bit less detached, a bit more sensitive to the needs around us. For in doing this, we'll be reflecting the love of God. And in doing this, we will draw people to him. We know the early church saw a lot of growth because they met together every day, they prayed, listened to the apostles' teaching, and they gave whatever they had so that nobody had need. That compassion, that mercy, that care led to growth of the church. And today, if the church is to grow, we'll not take anything different. We'll take the same. The word of God being thought, people being built up by that, but also in practice, love being shown to people, compassion, mercy. It will draw people in. And those who come in will stay because they will feel cared for and they will feel loved. So this is to challenge us to really... I think what we can do is meditate on some of the things we do. See if it aligns with what we truly believe. So that our spirit, our soul, our body, our mind, and our strength will all be aligned. Sometimes we love God with our minds, but not enough with our strength. In our minds, we love him. If it comes to worship, we'll be on the floor. You see tears even coming down. Emotionally, in our hearts, we love him. But when it comes to loving with our strength, then there's a problem. We don't want to give anything for him. No time, no money, nothing for him. No service. And then there are those who love God with all of their strength, but not with their souls and their hearts and their minds. That's why I read the next story as well about Jesus going to Martha and Mary. We find there Martha loving Jesus with all of her strength. All of her strength. Cooking a dinner. I'm sure five course dinner for Jesus. But her heart was not really there. Loving Jesus wasn't really there. Because as she was doing it, she was thinking of the fact that Mary was having a good time with Jesus while she was doing all the work. If it's out of love, you don't feel that way. You don't ask that somebody else come and do it. Why is that person not doing it? I'm doing it. So that tells you there was a sense of duty and responsibility behind it all, not love. We've got to learn to love him with all of our heart, all of our souls, all of our strength, all of our minds. It should be balanced. The priest and the Levite, maybe they loved God too, but also with all of their heart and their minds. They knew the law. Studying God's word to know it well is loving him with your mind. Maybe with your hearts too, because maybe he was in a hurry to go and do some priestly duties or something like that. But he didn't love the Lord enough with his strength to go into service for other people. Because remember Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these ones, you do it for me. So there's a place for the works and acts of service and compassion. The social side of the gospel is important. It's as important as the other side, as what we call spiritual. So the person who comes to clean here and do everything is as important as the person who stands here to preach or leads worship. All of our hearts, all of our souls, our minds, and our strength must be involved. But the motives are important. Paul says you can burn yourself up for other people, but if you have no love, it's useless. So what is motivating you? The young man asking the question, see how wrong his motives were. 
First to test Jesus, then to justify his actions. Good questions by wrong motives. You know, what's your motive? The priest must have had reasons for walking away. The Levite had his reasons too. The Samaritan stood by. What was his motive? You can tell it was pure love because he wasn't one of his kind. He wasn't a Samaritan. It was someone who considered him an enemy, someone who considered him death, a dog, a Samaritan. But love compelled him. He spent time, energy, whatever he was doing, he put it aside. He said, I think I can give you more. He went the extra mile. If we would do that, we can change our country. We can change service in our workplaces. Doctors and nurses will put care into their work. Teachers will put care and attention into raising their children. It's not just a job that you are doing with your strength. You are putting your heart and your soul in as well because you are loving God by loving these children. So let's, let's work on it. May God help us. I had a chat with John Yanni yesterday. And he asked me what I was going to talk about, and I told him what it was. And he gave me a nice example of how we can be more compassionate towards people. For him, how it works is intercession, prayer for people. I think it's a form of mindfulness. It helps us to be mindful. We can be so engrossed, so busy that we don't take a break to think about other people. Because Charlie, life is just busy, 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 busy. Go, go, come, sleep, get up and go. And Daniel tells us that in the last days, that's one of the strategic warfare tools that the enemy will use to wear out the saints. We'll be so busy moving up and down. We don't have time to really think about what we are doing and why we are doing it and what we should be doing. So intercession is a good one. Whenever you pray for yourself and your family, just give a moment to think about someone you know who's going through some kind of trouble. Maybe sickness. Maybe lost their jobs. Maybe lost a loved one, you know, and pray for them. Think about people who are close to you who are not saved. Pray for their souls. I think it helps you to touch base with other people and it breaks that cycle of selfishness. So it's a good one, intercession. But meditation is another one where we just meditate and think about our own lives, what we do, and see if it aligns with what our beliefs are. So I'd like to end with the soul side of things. Understanding that we are called to be salt and light in the world. We cannot move about detached. We cannot not care about the unsaved around us. Let us be intentional about not only praying for the lost souls, people who are not saved, but let's be intentional about strategizing how we can win them in. And usually be true acts of service and love and compassion like this. It opens the door. You do that for them, they realize you love them. So when you want to talk to them or invite them to church, they are likely to follow you. It's very important. There are things we can do. But I think that we should together as a church be more and more intentional about evangelism and winning souls and bringing them in. We cannot be unconcerned. We cannot be. We cannot walk to the other side. So let's pray about it, but let's take action as well. Let's invite people. Today it's easy, social media. It's so easy. Yesterday, 
Osofo NK was on Joy FM news file, and he spoke so well that a lot of people, if you look at the comments, you see things about, ah, I didn't know he was a pastor. Somebody actually asked, what church does he go to? Do you see? He didn't go telling them, come to my church, oh. But he had opportunity, and what, how he spoke, he showed something. He showed some love and compassion from the things that he said. People could see there. They could see there was compassion for the poor. He spoke against corruption. They could see there was compassion for marginalized people who are not like us and how we treat them as Christians. God, he spoke about the whole homosexual thing and Christians wanting to help put people in prison for being homosexuals and things like that. He brought that in. So the descending listener hears all of that and sees that, oh, there's compassion here. There's somebody here who cares. So the next question you see there is, what church does he go to? And I was so proud to see somebody answered, Accra Community Church. That was beautiful, wasn't it? But that's what we're talking about. That's how it will work out. It's not necessarily going out there to go and mount a platform where I do evangelism, where I do evangelism. No, not necessarily that. It's as we take every opportunity to show love, to show grace, to show compassion, to fight against that default mode of being detached. As we do that, we will find that people are attracted to us because they see the love of God in us. And then before we realize it, we'll not have room enough here to hold everybody. We'll have to move out to a bigger place. So I pray that God will help us, myself, number one, that we would see the opportunities all around us to show compassion. When we are tempted to be detached and to go into self-preservation mode, it's not my business. After all, it's not my child. May we remind ourselves of Jesus' story about the good Samaritan. And may we do something to help others. Because tomorrow it will be your child in the emergency room. And you will want to meet a nurse and a doctor who are not detached. You will want to meet somebody who cares, who is compassionate, who can make a difference. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.